This is Dr. B, and you're listening to one of the coolest podcasts out there. It's Cut to the Cheese Podcast. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase, episode 102. Yep, that's correct, people. We have officially gone over the threshold. And today, I am so honored and I am so blessed that we've entitled an episode, I Did It My Way. Now, a lot of people go, well, Greg, wait a minute. Isn't that an old Frank Sinatra song? Yeah. And it basically goes like... And now the end is here. So I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived my life that is full. I've traveled each and every highway and more and much more. I did it. I did it my way. Now, today, I've got a guess. I'll tell you. I mean... I've listened to this guy's tracks. I've seen the quality of his body of work. And it's so unique and so powerful. And his story will help bring merit to why we chose the title today, I Did It My Way. Quite, quite compelling individual. And so our featured guest today is a musical or excuse me, musician formerly known as The Mad Scientist. He began <laughs> as a DJ on a turntable. After performing at Montreal, Canada, popular shopping malls, clothing store, Dr. B was approached with opening up his own record and clothing store. After much success in Montreal, he decided to pursue a full-time music career in New York. And in early 2003, he began working with super producers Cool and Dre, Tony Touchy, Boogie Blind, and a sensational, reggae sensational, Elephant Man. That same year, he won DJ of the Year Award for his mixtape quotable. This passion led him to work with hip-hop legendary producer Swiss Beat, and he's appeared in 24K Skillet Video, produced by Jess Blaze and executive produced by him as a featured guest. Although he's found success in the hip hop music industry, his true love has always been EDM. And everybody's probably going, wait a minute now, Greg, I'm, I'm picking up a new acronym for you. EDM is electronic dance music. And I'll tell you some of these electronic dance tracks, man, you know, had me rocking through the whole weekend. In 2019, he released his first dance record independently, debuting his solo album, I Need a Doctor, which will be released in 2024. As he needed more talent, he continues to write and produce musical theater shows that will debut in the summer of 2023. Now, 
with all of this talent, with over 30 singles over the past year and over tens of thousands of monthly listeners on Spotify and with fans across Asia, North America and his tour, I Need a Doctor, that he started, I can only say with hit after hit after hit, like Shut Down, Rockstar, Heart and Soul and Mind, Bad Guy, Trap Music, and his latest release, All the Boys Think I'm Pretty. Now, his serenity has been music. His passion has been EDM. But his story resonates with what we're going to talk about today, how he did it his way. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. B. Do you have any opening remarks? Thank you. Thank you. That was like the best intro I've ever heard in my life, man. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I feel like I just won a Grammy. That was so amazing. If I cool, if, man. When I go on the road, I'm going to have you open up for me. I mean, you're going to get everybody. I, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be honored. You know, I'd really would be honored. Well, listen, you know, it's, it's been a delight to, uh, to collaborate with you and really kind of, you know, find the synergy and the common ground where we can, where we can get together and actually, uh, bring your story to, to, to the masses and, uh, you you know, and, and, and your story, I mean, your story is just so phenomenal, uh, with all of the great accomplishments that you've gone through, you know, whether it be the highs and the lows, I mean, they're, they're very much transcending in the aspect of the musical industry and what goes on kind of behind the label. And yeah, so as we yeah. jump into this, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. As we jump into this, <clears throat> you know, there's a quote that that really kind of resonates with me as we, as we talk about this. And it basically goes like this. It says, you have your way. I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, and the only way, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And so, you know, Dr. B, let's just open up and talk about why music is your serenity. Well, I think it's, I think it really goes back to when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I would say maybe eight, nine. And around that age, my brother and I, we, we grew up pretty abused by, uh, by my parents, mostly my mother. And I remember going to, we used to share uh, bedrooms. Pretty much most of the time we lived together at home, we shared bedrooms. And mm-hmm. so we would talk a lot and, you know, we got close and we also, you know, beat each other up like most brothers do when they fight and argue. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we would always go to bed listening to music. And I had this small little radio next to my bed. And I would always, every night, every night, I would listen to dance music and house music. And I'd mm-hmm. go to sleep listening to that. That and classical. I love classical music mm-hmm. and, and opera. And it just became, I think over a period of time, it just became like my safe place or happy place. Like I knew if my mom said some really horrible things to me that day, I always knew, well, Tomorrow's a better day, and as I'm going to sleep, like I get to listen to that music. It always made me excited. It always made me feel a little better. And when I got a little older and I became a DJ at 16, really what I started listening to was uh, Mike Mission on mm-hmm. uh, 
on um, CKUT 90.3 in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And I would, he would do, he would play all these records that in Canada we, we didn't hear that was going on in the States. He was very, at this time in the 90s, it was really hard to stay current on the music mm -hmm. of what was going on. But on his mm -hmm. show, he would play all the latest stuff. He'd do the scratches. And I would pretend, you know, at 14, 15, that I was scratching and I was acting like Jazzy Jeff. And eventually, mm -hmm. I got my own turntables, and things kind of took off from there. I mean, mm -hmm. once I started scratching and practicing, I remember when I first got them, my first set of 1200s, I didn't leave my house for four months. I literally, <laughs> I literally, like, I only left my room to come down to eat dinner. And, yep. and then I went back upstairs, and I kept going straight till it was bedtime. It was, it was probably like 14 hours a day. I was just scratching. Well, yeah. Like, I yeah. scratched so much, I broke so many needles, like, the records were warped. I had to buy so many new vinyls of like the same record. Like I was going off. Yeah. And things kind of took off uh, from that point. And at that point, it's always been, you know, a pretty big part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we certainly, certainly appreciate you sharing that. And uh, certainly uh, I share that same love um, with music and the serenity of uh, what music brings to your life. You know, for me, even as a child <clears throat> growing up, I always enjoyed, you know, the same aspects of the creativity, the the way that music was able to heal your soul, the way that music was able to give you an outlet, you know, and the different aspects of, you know, whether it be classical pop, rap, hip hop, jazz. I mean, mm. all of them had such a you know, a very unique and an authentic sound to your ear. You know, it was like, it was like right. eating mom's pie almost. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and very much like what you're talking about, you know, I, I also, you know, I, I've never, I've never taken a, a DJing class or anything, you know, to, to try to even pursue that as a career. But I had this fondness for, for music and, uh, you know, growing up in the, in the early seventies, transcending, you know, that forward, you know, there was so much great music back then, you know, yeah, and, yeah. uh, and, and of course, you know, I grew up in the South where, you know, not only did you have great music and musicians coming out of the South, but you also had, you know, gospel music as well. That was just, you know, it was just spiritually uplifting when you'd be in the midst of great gospel singers. And yeah. so I realized back then how important music was to me in my life and not only how, how it motivated me and transcended me through the lyrics, but just the important aspects of captivation, captivation and, with music. And another, and another thing, Greg, not to interrupt you. No, but, no, go ahead. Go ahead. But, but I'm sure one thing you'll agree and all your listeners that music was original. Yes. It yes. was, it was every time you heard something, it was new or a new experience. That's right. That's how right. How many, how many songs today can you say are really original? Right? Not very many. <laughs> how many songs today really motivate you in the right way? I mean, depending right. on what genre of music we're talking about, but I would right. classify hip hop as the most, uh, motivational like correct speaker theme type of music you know correct. what i mean correct. I, correct I would say the majority of it is pretty you know glorifying some of the things that as parents we want to shield our kids from that's you right know, like, like i don't want my kids popping pills or doing lean or i mean yep. that's kind of crazy right but that's right 
I, I, I'm just, I'm just agreeing with you. I'm just co-signing what you're saying. That that music back then, it meant something. It was original, and most of it was positive. Not that you know there weren't certain songs that emphasized a certain agenda, but most of it made you feel. Good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean you're you're spot on. I mean you know that that uh, that era was really. Uh, I think it was you know what people gravitated towards as they look for you know the 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 simplicity of hope. You know you were able to really listen to um, you know a nice R and B track or you know some house music track and and really yeah. have the sense of hope that things were going to improve and things were going to get better. And so, yeah, Jonathan, yeah. let's let's dive into a little bit about, you know, kind of this this transformation. You know, at the age of 16 for you, you know, you you were scratching, buying records, breaking needles and <clears throat> and doing all of these <laughs> yeah. great things, you know. And then, you know, all of a sudden you find that you have this this knack and now you're you're popular in shopping malls, you're popular in clothing stores and you open up your own, you know, record uh, company and then, you know, clothing store. Walk yeah. us through what that was like. I mean, because I I love, Mon- I love Montreal. I mean, I've, I've been here so many times and I just oh, really? love it. Oh, that's oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. St. Catherine Street, you know, I mean. Oh, I- okay. That's where I yeah. was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so what, what happened was once I got to a certain level um, and I started – um, one of my friends um, at the time was uh, DJ Blast, who's I think I think he was the Montreal uh, DMC champion for two years in a row or three years in a row. He, he's got quite a few titles he's won. Anyways, mm-hmm. we we became friends, and he's obviously way better than me, right? So I learned a lot from him, and mm-hmm. just just at the time, just to be around other DJs and turntablers, and just to get their respect. And for us to all to jam together, it really gave me a level, a certain level of confidence. And then mm-hmm. from there, um, I ended up meeting um, this DJ called Red Red. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I would say this was in the 90s, maybe um, 96, 97, or maybe mm-hmm. 90. Yeah, I think around 1996 or 97. At, at that time, he was like a really, really uh, popular um, hip hop and reggae R&B DJ. Everybody mm-hmm. pretty much knew him downtown, played at all the biggest clubs. Anyway, mm-hmm. so so because he was so popular, he ended up getting his own record shop inside a clothing store. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like a hip-hop clothing store, really big, two floors. Everybody's... And, you know, at that time, all the kids would kind of hang out in front of that store. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a, like two or three of these stores owned by the same owner of, on uh, St. Catherine Street. And one of them was near... St. Catherine and Guy, and the other one is St. Catherine and Peel. Mm-hmm. Anyways, on the Peel one, there was also this huge, huge, massive HM, HM uh, store, right? Like, mm-hmm. Which is crazy to talk about because like, people don't buy CDs anymore. Sure, but, sure. Right? But all the kids used to hang out like in, in on this block. And the lady of the, the hip-hop store, I think her name was Rita, she, she put speakers outside the store. So when Red Dread, his real name is Jason, when he was playing, you know, it, it would attract everybody into the store. More people would come in mm-hmm. and we became friends. And, but I was just kind of like carrying his records. He never put me on the turntables. Mm-hmm. And then one day he tells me, yo, man, I got to go to the bathroom. And can you take over for like five, 10 minutes? And I was like, can I? 
oh my gosh. <laughs> so like I always kept like five records with me just in case I could get on. Like I had a specific routine planned and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I got on the turntables and I, and I noticed the audience was into hip hop music, reggae music, pop music. And I knew they would be into like a live show, but you have to keep it going. You can't sure. just scratch for five minutes straight and think they're going to understand what you're doing. You have to make it interesting, right? You have to go one, two, 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 three, two, three, 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 one. You know, you got to make it like, hey, what's going on over here? Right. So I started doing that and I think I was maybe four or five minutes into my little routine. And when I looked up, there was like 50, 60 people around the turntable. I had no idea everybody was there. So I was like completely shocked. I was floored. Everybody's just looking at my hands and the way I'm moving. And it gave me like so much more energy and hype. So I just went off. And when I was done, everybody clapped and they cheered. And I was like the happiest kid in the universe. So Jason, <laughs> so Jason comes back. Like he saw me like the last like minute or two into it. And he, he gave me props. He's like, yo, that was crazy, man. So right. after, when the show, when after the show was closing, like I was packing up all this stuff and I was uh, going to walk to the bus stop and the owner of the store came to me and she said, Hey, listen, um, what you did in the store, that was really cool. And I saw all the people standing around and watching you. Listen, mm-hmm. Jason can't, he can't DJ next Saturday. He's got a show he's got to do. Can you fill in for him? And she's like, right. I'll pay you. And, you know, can you do some of the stuff that you did? Because Jason doesn't do that. I keep telling him to do that, but he doesn't want to do that. Right. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh, my God, I got my shot. Yep, so I went yep. back the next week. I I killed it, did a big performance. From there, they kept asking me back. And then from that point on, um, an owner of a skateboard shop on the other side of uh, St. Catherine, on St. Catherine and Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he owned a huge, huge, it was like 5,000 square feet, this, this skateboard shop. And he, he sold uh, T-shirts and uh, snowboarding equipment. And it was a completely different audience. Sure. And he comes to me and he says, listen, they're doing a fashion show in my store. I was wondering if can you DJ the fashion show. And it's going to be on TV, like on the local um, Much Music, Music Plus, sure. um, which was the main music stations at the time in that area. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hell yeah. So I, they paid me for the show. I did the show, did a whole routine practiced out. It went off really well. I was on TV. And from there, the owner of the show said, listen, I would like to have you here full time. And I know you're not going to work for money. So how about this? What if I work something out and maybe I give you the opportunity to open up your own store? So he said, I'll give you 500 square feet of, of, wow. of, of my store, you know, and he was charging me like 200 bucks a month. In rent, bro. It's like, seriously, wow. like, like wow. it was nothing. Now, now I'm on St. Catherine Street, which is like the busy, busiest street in Montreal. I'm mm-hmm. in a completely de- demographic and I'm catering to Caucasian kids, uh, skater kids, a mm-hmm. completely different demographic. So I wasn't, you know, stepping on anybody's toes with my friends and their stores. Yep. And uh, I started getting into spray paint because all these kids, what they were tagging all day long. The skater kids, that's all they wanted to do. So yep. my wife, who was my, who, She's my wife now, but at the time we were just dating. She was, we ended up opening the store together. And she was telling me, she's like, John, we're going to clean up with these kids. We need to get spray paint and the caps. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Long story short, we made a killing, man, and we catered to them. We sold mixtapes, but we sold a different type of mixtapes, and we focused focused on equipment. And what a yeah. lot of people would do, and I noticed when it came to sales, is that you know they're coming. These are kids; they're like 12, 13, 14. So they're obviously coming in with mom and dad. So, and now they're looking at this equipment and the kid says, mom, I want that turntable. See that DJ? He's super cool. He's scratching. I want, I want that one. I want that one. That's the one he's Mm -hmm. using. So mom would come over and say, it's not about the money. We have the money, but show me right here, right now. It could really do what my son says it could do. Right. So, so I was like, oh, wow. I was like, wow, this is easy. So I pull out my records and I would go off and go crazy. And the mom and dad, you notice when like a uh, baby boomer is yep. kind of tapping their feet to like mm-hmm. scratching that you're doing, you know, you're doing something right. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're not listening to that music at home. So right. we, so that's what we noticed that with our market, our demographic, we did really well on equipment. We sold some vinyl, not a lot, but we sold, uh, we were, we were able to sell mixers, turntables, needles, and spray paint, and we were always sold out. And it just so happened that one of my friends who owns um, Moog Audio, he started it back in the 90s. He's now he's all over the place. I think he's all over Canada. He's got a few locations in the US. But mm-hmm. he had um, a wholesale shop for DJ equipment and production equipment. And that's, you know, that's where A-Track started out. Um, yep. I, I remember when he was just a kid and going into the store and we'd be like, yo, what's up, Alan? And he would—he mm-hmm. was twelve years old, like just scratching right in the front, in the in the in the entrance. So we, yeah, so we ended up working on a deal with Kano. He supplied us with all the equipment, and from there, you know, things kind of took off. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What what a story. You know, I mean, you know, after after all the success you had in Montreal, and then in two thousand three, you know, to be put in the presence of some of these super producers that I, you know, I kind of rattle off in the, in the intro, you know, what, what was that like? Because I mean, you know, you, you, you went from, you went from a guy that, uh, you know, was kind of focusing on the entrepreneurial business aspect of, of running your store, selling equipment and really engaging with the demographics that you had. And then now, okay, you're thrusted into, New York City, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, what was that like for you? It was, it, it act, if I can be entirely honest, it was all by accident. It, sure. It, was, it wasn't supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the store, I was, I ended up meeting um, Mr. Sinister from the Executioners. Yep. Uh, so he was judging a DJ competition. So we went there, obviously, to promote the store and all of our equipment and stuff. So I ended up meeting him. We ended up hitting it off. So we hung out that night. Um, I think about a couple of months later, he came back to Montreal for another show, uh, just, mm-hmm. just by himself. So he asked me if he could uh, crash with me. So I was like, yep. hell yeah. So he ends up staying with me. And I, at this time now, I have my own place. I got, you know, a whole bunch of production equipment in my house. Yep. Um, DJ equipment. The production equipment at this time, <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. At this time, I don't know how to, I haven't learned how to use it. I didn't even set it up. I was just sure. using the DJ stuff. So when he came, he was like, yo, man, you got all this stuff. Let's hook it up. You know, I'll show you how to use it. Right. So he started giving me some of my very first in-depth, like, production uh, lessons. He, you know, okay, this is how we lay the kicks, the snares, the tempos, you know, right. uh, the keyboard. 
Um, and it was an amazing experience. You know, I mean, he didn't have to do that. It's something I'll always cherish. And the fact mm -hmm. that I got to learn that from a legend, you know, I feel like totally blessed. So yeah. after that, we started doing some demos with some people that I knew that wanted to record. And we actually uh, recorded a demo with this female artist uh, by the name of 24 Bay. And yep. after we recorded a few songs, he said, yo, man, these guys at Loud Records in the United States, I know they would like love to hear this. Right. So I was like, are you serious? He's like, no, I'm serious, man. So he pulls out his cell phone and he like calls him right there in front of me. Yep. So he sets up a meeting. So now I'm like, oh shit, well, now I got to go to New York. Like he just set up a meeting. I wasn't planning on going to New York. Mm -hmm. So, so I told two, four, I said, yo, I'll, I'll, I'll just go on behalf of you and act as your manager. Let me pretend like we know what we're doing, even though we don't. And, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, I just tried to be professional to some sort of degree. Sure. Um, so I went down there, I met these executives. Now at this time, Loud Records is about to go out of business. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's on their, their last days. I think this was maybe a few months left. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I ended up meeting one of the main legal counsel at Loud, um, a bunch of, um, I think, two guys in the marketing department, promotions, as well as a and um, These guys obviously have great contacts and you know they know tons of other people. So we meet and we end up working out a situation where I hired them and I, mm -hmm. I hired all of them and the attorney mm -hmm. to, to be, I, so I kind of like hired the loud staff and mm -hmm. started my own label uh, in a sense. Sure. Uh, from that point on, I ended up meeting very quickly, maybe a couple of weeks later, I ended up meeting Eminem's attorney. Um, oh. His name is uh, Randy Cutler. Now yep. at this, at this time, this is, I think the Eminem show was out. I think that's when it just came out. So this is like Eminem at his peak. Like, yep. It couldn't yep. be bigger. Okay. Um, and this is also, this also kind of crossed over onto the 50 cent time. So the reason mm -hmm. why that's so relevant is because we just had access to a lot of things that uh, someone like myself normally wouldn't have access to as if sure. we had the same legal counsel. Sure. So, like, I remember, like, one of the first times I went to meet my attorney, I walked into the um, the, uh, the lobby, and I saw like Genius the Jizza from the Wu Tang just sitting there. I was mm -hmm. like, "What the mm -hmm. hell?" Like, you know, like, it, and that would happen on a regular basis. I would see like these big time artists, right, uh, that were just sitting in the lobby, and uh, and I was like, I don't know, twenty two at the time. <laughs> something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like I didn't know anything about anything, but just to be in the same presence, I felt very privileged. Sure. Um, sure. So after working with Randy, um, Randy, I also hired Randy to help me run the label and teach me things because, um, let's be honest. I mean, I had no experience. I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and Randy was also looking for like a pet project, something that he can kind of grow because at that time, keep in mind in hip hop, there was a, like a lot of these smaller independent labels that were kind of slowly turning into majors. Like remember when Koch Records first came out? Um, yep. They, yep. Right. And then they ended up working with Tony Touch and they ended up signing some big acts. And next thing you know, they weren't so small time. Randy wanted to do something like that. And he felt with me and some of the acts that I had signed, it had the potential of doing that. Along with his connections, he felt like we could accomplish anything. Right. And shortly, and then, so shortly after that, he 
maybe a few months later, he told me about uh, Eminem's best friend, Proof. And he mm -hmm. said, he called me up. And I'll never forget this conversation. He said, Proof was, first of all, Proof was always my favorite rapper in D12. Like, I loved his mm -hmm. flow, his style, mm -hmm. his energy. Mm -hmm. I just thought he was cool as shit. And right. he called, so Randy calls me and he says, hey man, um, Proof wants to put out an album. I'm like, okay. He said, but he doesn't want to put it out on a major label. And I'm like, why? And he said, because he knows it's only going to sell because of Eminem and major label support. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are you sure about that, man? I mean, you know, everybody's really into this just to make money. And he's like, bro, he has money. They have money. He doesn't right. want to do that. And I've had right. in-depth conversations with him. He told yep. me he wants to go with a smaller company on purpose because he wants to prove to everybody and prove to himself that he can make it without Marshall and all the access that he has. He wants to do it alone. Sure. So what he's looking for, he's not looking for a ton of money up front. He knows he can get that. What he wants is a ton of money on the back end. Mm -hmm. So what I suggest is we do this deal with him. Give him whatever the fuck he wants in terms mm -hmm. of the back end. I'll speak to you, Koch, which was um, not Koch, sorry. Um, um, uh, Ryko Distribution, which was my distribution at the time. They're owned by okay. Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. So he said, I'll speak to Neil over at Koch. We'll get the sales department on board. They're going to push the crap out of this like crazy. It'll work. He said, trust me, man. And I said, okay, sounds good. I'm like, just get back to me on the details on what it's going to cost and let's work it out. Right. Hung up the phone, calls me back an hour later. He said, things are looking good. I'll call you back with the details. Give me a few mm -hmm. minutes. I said, okay. Two weeks later, proof that he dies. Right. That's what yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was a tough one. That was super sad. Bro. Super yeah. sad. Yeah. I had a similar situation with Keith Murray. Keith mm -hmm. Murray wanted to do a deal. I have pictures of us in the rainbow, right? Mm -hmm. Keith, mm -hmm. Keith is, first of all, Keith is hilarious. He's awesome. Right. Right. Okay? But I'm speaking to Keith. I said, first of all, so I sent a car, a driver to go pick Keith up. Okay. Yep. Yep. Keith decides to drive all over freaking New York City, talking to his homeboys, his friends. He goes to Brooklyn, goes over to Queens drives back to Brooklyn. I'm sitting in the room for two hours. Who the hell is this guy? The waiter's coming to me, sir, would you like another drink? I'm like, I might as well. This dude, like, what the hell? So I'm checking with the driver. I'm like, where are you? He's like, now we're in Staten Island. I'm like, what the hell are you doing over there? He said, I don't know. He just, I'm like, whatever, just do what he says, but just eat, end up here. You have to bring him here. Right. So he's like, right. he's like, okay, okay, okay. Two and a half hours later, if I've had like, four cognacs at this time he shows up <laughs> he shows up okay it's like 11 o'clock there's like only like an hour left before it closes all right right so he shows up he's like yo what up what up thanks for coming and you know thanks for bringing the car and this and that he starts ordering everything off the menu he must mm. have ordered literally one of everything and i'm wow. like jesus christ this is going to be like 10 dollars oh my god right right <laughs> So I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying nothing. Yep. So so some of the food comes. So one of his boys is with him that that I know. He you know he's in the studio a lot with us. Yep. Yep. And you know he's eating, drinking, and we're you know we're talking. Mm -hmm. So I'm like he, so about five five ten minutes into the into the the conversation when all the food's there, I'm like Keith, are you, 
you're not going to eat anything? He's like, no, man, I'm a vegetarian. Wow. I, said, <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at his boy. I'm like, is he serious? He's like, yeah, he really is. Um, so I said, okay, whatever, man. I'm like, so let's get down to, let's get down to business. Yeah. We finally, we discuss what we need to discuss. We shake on it. It's a deal. I remember this. So, you know, I send, I send the car. They take the car back home. I go back to my hotel. Yep. Two weeks later, I rem- I'll never forget this. I'm in Canada and I'm faxing him the contract. So I called his best friend and I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. I have a fax number that they gave me, but the fax isn't working. I'm like, yo, right. how work? he's like, boss, I'm sorry. I got something to tell you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? He's like, Keith, Keith went to prison today. And I'm like, what the? Right, right, right. <laughs> He's going to be gone for like 18 months or 24 months. I said, are you serious? I'm like, why, why didn't you guys tell me this? He's like, well, right. we didn't want to ruin the deal. And we thought the lawyer thought he could still get out of it and this and that. And I'm like, well, maybe this will be a funny story to tell on a podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here, here I am. Quite, quite, quite intriguing. You know, all of the backstories, particularly dealing with you know not only the the artists, but you know the uh, the aspects of <clears throat> what you have to go through in order to uh, to grow your business. I mean, you know, in in hindsight, you know, a lot of people think success happens overnight, and you know, hence the reason why we're talking about you know I did it my way is because. Y- Reaping the benefits of someone's success at the time that they are successful doesn't really give anybody the authority or grant them permission to say that they were really a part of that. Because, I mean, right. you you endured all of the, as they call it, blood, sweat, equity and tears to be able to like kind of transcend from that point to to where you are today. And so right. as we as we fast forward <clears throat> to where we are now. 2019, 2020, you know, you've had a lot of, as you say, you've had to deal with the BS. Uh, you've had to deal with a lot of the, as I, as I, as I would say this very loosely and, and no disrespect, the, the, the divasness, you know, with uh, yeah, some of the artists, yeah. you know, and of yeah. course dealing with, you know, the distribution companies and so forth and so on. And yeah. so, you know, it's quite exhausting, you know, to hear all of the ins and outs and this and that and so forth that you have to go through. And I think, you know, from what we talked about a while ago, that's kind of where you were at a place to where you were saying, it's time for me to move on. So in 2019 or prior to that, you decided that you were going to go back to being a pure independent artist, a pure independent label. Walk us through what transcended through your mind and through that period of time that tip the scales for you? Well, the whole reason why, just to recap real quick, I left the music industry because I got into music. I didn't get into it for the money. I wasn't surviving on it. I already Mm -hmm. had a successful business at the time. That's how Mm -hmm. I was paying my bills. I was doing Mm -hmm. music because um, I was given an opportunity and I thought I would be crazy to say no, because Mm -hmm. who in Mm -hmm. their right mind would say no to an opportunity like that? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't regret it, but after doing it for four to five years, I realized this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. uh, demeaning. It's uh, derogatory. It's offensive. 
it's uh, not healthy physically, mentally, emotionally. It's not for me. And I mm -hmm. said, I don't need to do this. So I didn't. So I left. I, mm -hmm. And when I mm -hmm. went back to Canada, I took all my equipment. I literally put it in a box and I put it in a shelf. Like I was so turned off with music. I couldn't create it. Mm -hmm. uh, it, mm -hmm. I, I didn't even want to play records mm -hmm. and I didn't play anything for 15 years. I left mm -hmm. it like that for 15 years. Mm -hmm. The reason why I got back into it, it's because I became in, I would say 2015, 16, I became a graphic novel writer mm -hmm. and I started writing these graphic novels. I released a graphic novel. It became a bestseller. And mm -hmm. then I started, started transitioning into a motion comic and animation. So with that, we need scoring and, you know, we need the right type of music. And mm -hmm. I couldn't find the right type of person to do the music. So I just said, screw it, I'll do it myself. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I started working with this orchestra in Mexico mm -hmm. and I found them online. They were, they were cheap, you know, and I think the orchestra consisted of maybe seven, eight musicians. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed di the directing. I loved it. I loved telling the violinist how the string should play and how it should go and the drama that we need for the trailers and the comic book. And when I was done with that, I was hooked. I was completely hooked. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to write graphic novels anymore. I just wanted to make music all day, every day. Right. So then when I started looking into, well, what's the music business like in 2018 or 2019? How is everybody mm -hmm. releasing music? Mm -hmm. Well, as we all know, it's all digital now, you know, 99% yep. of it. A vinyl is considered a collector's item when it used mm -hmm. to be standard. Um, and then I started realizing, I started, you know, and then I called up a couple of friends of mine from back in the days, like Ethan D, who was still friends with, from the beat miners. And I asked mm -hmm. his, his opinion about, you know, because I've been, I haven't been around for 15 years. So I just asked some important questions to some people that I trust about mm -hmm. the music industry, how it has evolved how they have adapted, you know, going from certain machines to, you know, what we're using now with the NPC Live and things like that. Mm -hmm. And everything is touchscreen. They gave me some great advice. And at the end of the day, they mostly said, you know what, bro, you'll be fine. Just go for it. Right. We've done some great stuff together. You're talented. I know you haven't done it in a while, but it's like anything else. You know, you, you it's like riding a bike. You just sure. need to get back on the horse. Sure. But in terms of all the BS, no, nah, that doesn't exist. And if, and, and you don't need to, you don't need to tolerate because right. at the end of the day, we live in a world now. I realized very quickly that the world that I'm creating is just a world for myself and my fans and listeners. That's it. Yep. yep. I, I was not interested. Well, that's not true. In the beginning, I thought maybe a record deal was a better way to go. But after 10 mm -hmm. minutes, 10 minutes, I realized, no, nah, that's, that's not where I want to be. And it's also mm -hmm. not my priority. My priority was also focusing on uh, forensic psychology. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I ultimately realized that I can control my own destiny. Mm -hmm. I can do things my way. And here's mm -hmm. how I can do it. I can work my own program. I stopped mm -hmm. wasting time watching what other people were doing on Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I stopped trying to somehow mimic what they're doing. And mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, they're not me. They're not making my music. They, they're not, they, they don't, they're not my image. They're, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You need mm -hmm. to figure out your niche mm -hmm. and how to put your stamp and how you're going to be different from everybody else. 
And once mm-hmm. I figured that out, I figured out that my sound, my real hardcore sound that I'm really, really good at is deep house. Mm-hmm. I can make good house songs, techno songs, rap songs, pop songs. Um, but I'm, that's my lane. It's deep house. And True. when I started focusing on that, I started, and you know, when you embrace that, it's like something unlocks in your mind. That's right. You know, right. It's like when you just own it, you just yep. go for it. That's right. Right. I started mm-hmm. experimenting with vocals. I, uh, some of the records I'm singing on, some of them I'm doing ad libs. Some records I'm working with other artists from all over the world, like Africa, Italy, France, mm-hmm. um, uh, Germany, Toronto, you know, Montreal. So I think you just, everybody just needs to figure out their own program. And right. once you figure out your program, work your program. Don't worry about everybody else's program. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, well. that's, yeah, that's, that's what I did. And that's how it ended up working for me so far. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to say very, very well stated. Uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more with regards to the fact that, uh, you know, we do get entrenched in trying to do and live like the Joneses and, uh, you know, Hence the reason, you know, I'm doing the things that I want to do unbridled and unscripted with our podcast is because, you know, I don't want to follow the same mantra as somebody else. I want to bring something that's going to really be relevant and authentic and inspiring and all those great things. And I love I love your story, man, because, you know. You oh, went you. through you went through the trials and the tribulations. You you experienced the pinnacle of success. You you reached out, you touched the brass ring, you lived it, you yeah. breathed it, you felt it, you know. And then of course you realize that, hey, in life, this really isn't for me, you know, and 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 you were you were not fulfilled at that moment and you needed right. to do something different. And of course, we all go through something like that in our lives. And at this point in time, I can say from the bottom of my heart that I am truly glad that, you know, you went down this path and that you found, as I call it, your mojo, you know, your flow yeah, and, you. and, and, and that you're in that harmonizing, um, method of enjoying life and really, you know, honing in on things that add significant value to you and your family and your beautiful daughter and all these great yeah. things that bring forth the compassion and, and the, and the, and the joy that one wants to live in life, you know, and that's the significance and importance of, you know, why you did it your way and why you continue to do it your way to be the person that you want to be and nobody yeah. else. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. I really appreciate that. You, you know, yeah. something else that I realized, right? What's that? I was, I was, when I was, this was a couple of years ago when I was um, making a bunch of tracks and I'm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. figuring out all this new equipment. Yep. At some point, I don't remember exactly when, but it was pretty early on. At some point, I realized there's enough for all of us. Oh, yeah. There's enough Absolutely. for all of us. The world Absolutely. has never been more connected. And I feel mm-hmm. like every day that goes by, somehow technology figures out a way to connect us even more. Right. But there, are, there are so, and I, I looked up a lot of artists. There are so many artists that you have never heard of that mm-hmm. have millions and millions of streams. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. like, there's people that have gone platinum and I've never heard of them, right? right. Or you never will hear of them. So right. what does that tell you? They're mm-hmm. living in their own world, in their own bubble. That's right. They're, they're not concerned with me 
or with you or with anybody else. They're concerned right. with what they're doing, their own fans, and whatever it is they're doing, it's working. And they're doing it with, without radio. That's right. So what That's does right. that tell you? Absolutely. It says right? a lot. It says yeah. a lot. Like you I refuse. Yeah. Yeah. I refuse to be like the bitch to radio. And that's right. what all of our artists, that's what we used to be. Oh right. my freaking God, bro. When I was back in the music business, freaking mm -hmm. radio was raping us with the fees. The amount of money we had to pay to get songs yeah. on the radio was insane. And they mm -hmm. knew it. They all knew that they held all the cards and all the keys. Right. Because right? you're not going to sell a lot of CDs or tapes if you're mm -hmm. not on the radio somewhere. You need mm -hmm. some form of radio presence. You need street presence. You need yeah. those flyers, those stickers, and all of that. Mm -hmm. The street promos had us at their mercy. And now I'm like, wait a second. Mm -hmm. You mean I don't have to pay $100,000 for these promotions? Right. I don't have to do this? I don't right. have somebody in my pockets helping me, trying to get at me? I could just be a musician and just upload. And yeah. I let the fans decide. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I can't think of a better world or a better time to be a musician. Right. Right. It's, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the the advancements, uh, it just opens up the uh, the notion of, of freedom to, to yeah. a certain a certain extent. You're you're liberated based on not having all of those constraints as long as you can figure it out and find ways to collaborate and and find, like you said, find your niche, you know, find 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 your community that's going to be there to support you and uplift you and, and, and continue to thrive yeah. on um, the overall essence of, of what you're, what you're creating, not only as a musician, but as a, but as a content, you know, creator. And so can, <clears throat> Dr. B. Yeah. Can I, can I just add one more thing to what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to add something else. Everything what you're saying is hundred percent correct, but I would like to encourage all your listeners if, if you're looking into getting into music or you are a musician, say you're dropping tracks mm -hmm. and you're trying mm -hmm. to figure out how come it's not working for me? What's going on? Am I doing something wrong? Maybe yep. you're not doing something. Right. right. I, what I would right. like to say is be consistent and be professional. Right. Be professional. Right. Listen, do not take your listeners for granted. Yep. There are billions and billions of songs they could be listening to. If they mm -hmm. choose to listen to your song at all, ever, right. you should just say thank you. Yeah. And figure out a way to build on that. Yeah. And one of the ways that and one of the ways that you will gain consistency is when with your with your actual listeners and you'll see mm -hmm. that steady growth, you have to be consistent with your music. That's right. For myself, I put out one song a week for mm -hmm. seven months straight. Yep. Now I'm not saying you have to do that. Right. Whatever consistency is to you, whether it's one song a month. Maybe it's every two weeks. Maybe it's right. one song a day. Right. What, what? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a certain video clip that you share on an Instagram story. Whatever it is that works for you. Yep. Figure that out and work your program and be professional. Your listeners are not idiots. That's they, right. They're not. They're not interested in someone putting out a song in June and then they don't never hear from you again till like next January. And then the artist is wondering, wait a second, how come people aren't streaming my song? Right. They, they right. moved on, man. It's been six months. I mean, yeah. They're listening yeah. to something else. Like you're not, you don't have their attention anymore. That's Do you right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and absolutely. The, one of the craziest things I saw in, uh, at the end of December, 2020, when Spotify gives you your, your stats, 
Mm-hmm. It said to me, it says on one of my stats, it said, you have 50 people in the world that listen to your music more than any other musician. Mm-hmm. Now, now 50 people may not seem to be alive, mm-hmm. but bro, those are my 50 people. That's right. You better bet those are the best 50 solid fans in the world. That's right. Anything I do, those 50 people are going to back it. And then that's, that's right. going to grow. Yeah. That's how I see it. Absolutely. I don't see it as minimal or it should be 5,000. No, be realistic. Yeah. Be realistic. Yeah. But I'm excited about that. And I, and I encourage any of your listeners, if you're in that same situation and you're building and growing, make sure you have the right mentality. Don't yeah. look at it from a negative point of view. It should be more. No, 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 no. You're playing the long-term game. Your dad isn't Will Smith. People don't know who you are. You're going to play the long-term game and you're going to see that's going to build. And as that build, it's going to be solid and genuine. And that foundation can never, ever, ever be broken by nobody. That's true. Not even you. Not even you can break your own foundation. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on, man. That goes just about for anything. I mean, however you apply yourself is to be consistent and stay focused in on the long game because uh, it's a journey. You know, yeah. I mean, we just heard you share your journey with us. And, you know, like I said earlier, we all go through some type of journey, but it's those decisions. And like you keyed in on is your attitude and how you move forward in life that yields the type of success that you want. And right. so, Jonathan, since we're almost out of time, I'd like to ask, what are some of the things that, you know, key takeaways that you have grasped throughout the years the highs and the lows. And if there is a listener out there, I know we've talked about some of these things about, about, you know, play the long term. but what are some of the things that you would like to add on top of that for anyone that is really trying to consider at this point in time, how do I move myself forward and do it in my own way? Because you went through a very um, interesting time in your career and, you know, you had highs and then you had, a, you know, uh, a little bit of a, I won't say a, a significant low point, but you had a low point where you stepped away from it for 15 years and, and yeah. dabbled in, in other, other extremities, but didn't take you too far away so that it rebuilt your love for what you, you truly desire. But what would be some of those things that you would say to those one or two listeners out there? that want to aspire to do it their own way, but they haven't quite figured it out? Um, I'll say a couple of things. First sure. and foremost, if you're an artist, don't turn off your heart. Mm-hmm. I turned it off and it bothered me for 15 years. And it took me 15 years to realize what was really bothering me. Mm-hmm. I'm an artist, naturally. Um, I can play the drums and I've never taken drum lessons. I'm one of those musicians I can play by ear. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. in my blood. Mm-hmm. If you're an artist and you're going through something, I would highly advise you to turn to your art and express yourself. Don't turn it off. It's a part of your soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need to embrace who you are. That's mm-hmm. number one. But it takes you time to figure that out, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of people won't figure that out early in age. That does take time. But mm-hmm. that would be my advice on that front. Yep. I would also say, don't be afraid to fail. Right. Don't be afraid to fall. That's exactly how we learn to pick ourselves up. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. I have fallen many times. Um, and sometimes it hurts. 
Mm-hmm. But when I look at Ellie, who's my wife, um, mm-hmm. and my kids, and I have other friends and family, they're always there to help me up if I can't get up by myself. And sometimes we're in that position where we need some help. Don't be yeah. afraid to ask for help, especially right. if you're trying to find yourself or plot a course, whether it's business, life, academics. Don't be afraid to say, I think I'm in a position where I might need to ask for someone. Right. I would also, I'll, I will also add that for myself, yes, I've had some highs and lows. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I've enjoyed the most is the journey. Sometimes yep. when we're going through the journey and we're going through a bad time, we don't, we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And we just yep. want this to end. Right. Believe me, this will end. This time will pass and you'll get there. And what I would like you to do, even though this may be a bad time, try to stop and think and look at it from a different perspective and enjoy even the bad times. Because mm-hmm. even during the bad times, we can learn from these bad times, right? We learn what not to do. We learn what to do. We learn better timing. Mm-hmm. What's appropriate, what's not appropriate. We've made mm-hmm. some exercise and poor judgment at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Better judgment. That's what I'm saying. Some self-reflection. We can't grow. If you're not willing to self-reflect, as well as acknowledge where you went wrong and also what you did right. Right. We need to focus on that. And lastly, I will say this. Be a creative bird. Don't be afraid to mutate. Turn into something else. Life is about moving forward and evolving. Mm -hmm. Don't stay stagnant. Try new things. Be different. Mm -hmm. Just try new things. Now, when I first started putting out music two years ago, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't playing the piano. Now mm-hmm. I got two keyboards. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, uh, my wife bought me a drum set for my birthday. I'm playing the drums, you know, the mm-hmm. electronic drums. Mm-hmm. Um, before I was just, I'm mostly finger drumming. That's my specialty, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But don't be afraid. I also got an electronic guitar and an acoustic guitar that I'm uh, learning. Don't mm-hmm. be afraid to try something. Right. I mean, and you know what the worst thing just might happen. You know what just might happen? You might find out you're in love with it. Yeah. And that's not so bad, right? Exactly. Exactly. I'll leave it at that. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much. Uh, Certainly, this has been quite a journey to watch and discover and also participate in your story. And with the final quote that I have, basically kind of to summarize this, it basically goes like this. It says, this is my story. I don't know where I'm going, but I know I'm going somewhere beautiful. And I know I'm on my way. It's been a beautiful adventure. It will always be a beautiful adventure. And so, Jonathan, Dr. B... Man, this has been great, man. I, I, I've, like I said, I've been honored because, you know, this, this is something for me connecting through music is, <laughs> I, like I said, I, I, lo- I love music as well. Thank Just you, love man. music. And uh, I hope this has been real for you. And uh, oh, I loved it. Let's do it again. And for yeah, all the listeners, yeah. I got a new song coming out, Shakespeare Act 2. Stream it on all your platforms. It's dropping tomorrow. 
Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, so it wouldn't do me justice without uh, without basically saying, how can people, you know, obviously acquire your music? How can they reach out to you? You know, what are some of the things that uh, you would be able to share with our our listeners or potential new listeners uh, that might be interested in hearing a lot of your great content and and artistry? How would they go about doing that? Well, all my music's on all the streaming platforms. You can search okay. under uh, Dr. V, uh, D-R dot space the letter V. Okay. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. Um, my profile is I um, underscore A-M underscore D-I, I'm sorry, D-R dot underscore B. So okay. it's I am Dr. B, but it's just separated with the underscore. Sure. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I am Dr. B, the number six, all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's I-A-M-D-R-B, the number six. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I'm only on those social medias. Great, great, and, uh, great. Yeah, I hope you guys like the music. Yeah, well, like I said, man, I, I listen as, as a part of my preparation. I, I listen to... Uh, a lot of your tracks and uh, truly, truly love where you're, where you're going and where you've been and where you're heading with the uh, EDM, man. That's, uh, that's some good stuff. And so to our listeners, as I always say at the very end of a podcast is, you know, let's continue to be safe out there. Let's continue to maintain, maintain empathy and compassion towards each other. And by all means, God bless. This has been episode 102 entitled, I Did It My Way. Thank you again, Dr. B. God bless. And to everyone out there, take care. This is Gregory Proctor, Cut to the Chase. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.